Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Tommy DeVito. That was pretty good. Way to go. Way to back me up. Oh, yeah, baby. What's up? It's Chris Sims Unbutton. It's a Wednesday, and that means it's the What the Fuck Happened podcast, a.k.a. Treasure Hunters for the PG-13 crowd, okay? That's right, and hopefully you won't have to hear that horrible singing again. I mean... I thought it was better when we were doing it in real time. Yeah, I was no, like, we nailed uh, that. This just in. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't good, okay? What makes it worse yeah. is I was looking at the news on Monday... Yeah, and I'm on like Yahoo, right? Because like you know, I'm I'm not a big news guy, but I kind of just like let me just see what's going on in the world a little bit, and I'm scrolling through it, and it has that on there, and I was like, damn, of all the things I've done all week talking about football, they chose start spreading the news to put on Yahoo News. Really? Yeah, it was on there, and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. That's the kinds of kind of things that make you think twice about doing that again, well, right? or, or the opposite, right? Maybe bad singing is what's trending now. Well, you're we, right. We, we a lot of bad is wor- working well on the internet, so maybe <laughs> maybe that is right. Yeah. But we got a good one today. What's up, man? How are you? Good, good to, see to see you. you. It's a big day. Like we said, Wednesday, November 29th. More importantly, it's Pete Demolitolitis' birthday. 40. Right. He's 40 yep. now. Yep. He pulled the old oh, it was an hours worth of traffic getting here today. Yeah. Like, what a bunch of bull crap. He was at home getting some birthday booty, and he got here late. <laughs> like, so what the hell? <laughs> he goes, my God, in our ear. He's like, I wish it was not my birthday right now. Uh, we got a special gift for him that I think we'll have visual evidence of oh, later in the pod. Yeah, so that's something you have, to, the, you have to look forward to like there. It. So, yeah, 40 is a big is a big number. I'm like, I'm like that's when you start to contemplate like, what, what you're doing. It's the first time life. you think, like, man, I'm actually on the downslope of life. Yes. It's actually like it's amazing how a, a, a switch flips yeah. where all of a sudden you come back from like a workout and you're like, oh, shit, my back hurts. Or like, oh, your body starts to fall apart. Yeah. And I, after 40 was like probably the first time ever I actually had thoughts of like death for the first time ever. Right. Where I hit 40 and just random moments of like, yeah. Damn, I mean, I there's a, I could be here only twenty more years. Who knows? I mean, it just it's it's crazy what happens at that at that that point. I remember thinking that too, and I remember thinking like I remember when my dad or my friends' dads were forty. Yeah, they were old. Yeah, you, you were like, oh my god, I can't believe my dad. I couldn't believe my dad turned forty. I was yeah. like, shit, dad's old. He's getting yeah. old, and now I'm remember. him. Right. Uh, apparently, we have the video now. We're we're oh, not we going to make you wait for this. So okay, here was good. here was earlier. I went to the printing press. We uh, had a whole ceremony. I gave Pete, much like you, I gave you a T-shirt, but Pete got a hoodie. I, I'm a little offended. 
that uh, you gave him a hoodie. And there it is. Pete Dimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimalimal
It was an incredible performance by Josh Allen. It really was. The throws, the degree of difficulties of the throws, and especially in the wet, windy elements, right? And in this game early on, it was a little bit short and conservative and get a feel for Philly. As the game went on, it became more and more difficult throws and pushing the ball down the field. But then, you know, the amount of times people are covered or nothing's there or the pocket collapses and he still gets out or runs or makes some unbelievable throw. As the game went on, the offense delivered less and less for him, and it just was Josh Allen taking over. I mean, there's drives where you go, there really wasn't one play on the drive where you go, ooh, that was surgical by the offense. It was just Josh Allen being amazing, right? He had one mistake. It was a big mistake. This is the problem with the Buffalo Bills. There's, you know, there's no quarterback that is dependent on more to carry his team right now in football than Josh Allen. And that's why we didn't pick him to go to the playoffs, and we've been trying to tell people that's not sustainable in the NFL. He played the game perfectly. He maybe missed, like, one throw on a corner route to Dalton Kincaid that he could have made a hit and still hit both of his hands. Of course, the interception was the only bad play of the day. And that just tells you about the Bills in general, right? I mean, he plays perfect. He plays out of this world. I go to the gym. Anybody I talk to, they're all like, Josh Allen, Josh Allen, Josh Allen. And they still can't win the game with one of the greatest talents we've seen, right? And he makes one mistake, and they they can't win or overcome that. And that, to me, is the problem with the Bills and Josh Allen. As you saw in my notes, as I said to you on Sunday, I did. I checked the rule book. Yeah. They're allowed. Somebody else on the team is allowed to help Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills win the game. It doesn't always have to be on him. He's afforded the luxury of, or not the luxury, the slumming of yeah. no, you can't make a mistake. You have to play perfect, and if you don't play perfect, it's gonna. It, we, we might win by the skin of our teeth. I mean, that, that's where they are in Buffalo right now. So before we look at that interception, yeah. the, the mistake that, that you mentioned, right. let's let's talk about this Eagles defense. Did they do something that that forced the Bills into making it the Josh Allen show? Like, did they make life difficult in other areas in the run game? Because I look at the stats, they. Bills ran for 173 yards, yet 81 of that was oh, Josh Allen. And let me give Allen. some context to that. 81 yes. of it is Josh Allen, and the other maybe 50, 50 of it is on the last drive of the game in regulation, mm-hmm. okay, when the Bills put an extra offensive lineman on the field and the Eagles still were like, we don't really care. We're mm-hmm. going to play nickel defense because we're going to worry about Josh Allen throwing the ball. So they had numbers in the box and a huge size advantage, and they had a little success at the end of the game because Philly was trying to protect. Let's not let them score a touchdown. Let's make sure they kick a. Or, or, you know, let's make you know. Let's, let's protect the big play, not the touchdown. Excuse me. And they were trying to play that and protect, not the touchdown. You know, so that was in the competitive first three quarters. Their run game was laughable. I mean, laughable. Like, let me just break this down just a little bit, just to put it in perspective, too. And, and don't forget what you were going to say or the next thing you were going to say. Sure. But, like, James Cook, he had an 11-yard run. Murray had a 13-yard run. Now, James Cook had 16 for 43 with an 11-yard run, and there was another, like, 9-yard run on top of that. His other 14 runs were literally be all behind the line of scrimmage. Murray, he had, an 11, he had 9 for 30. One of those runs was 13 yards. Another run was, like, 6 or 7. So he had, like, 7 runs for, like, 12 yards. Their run game was non-existent. 
You know, it was all Josh Allen. Uh, so sorry, and no, want no. to get to the point. I just want to throw that out there. That's so because did, the stats can be misleading. People go, well, they run the ball pretty good. Yeah. And it's like, no, they, they did not run the ball. It did not help them in their offense at all throughout the game. And you didn't necessarily see anything that crazy no, from the Eagles. They no. just played it straight out. But Buffalo, I mean, that that's to me where one thing I think Philly can improve on a little bit. Mm. You know, not that they have to reinvent the wheel, but we had this conversation, I think, a little bit, you know, when they played the Rams early this year and we broke down the game a little bit. Just, if they could just infuse a little illusion or a little like, hey, we might blitz here, but we're going to drop out, whatever. They don't need to do much because they're so talented, but I do think at times they get a little too bland and simple. And that's to me what I would say early on in the game was what was going on. They were playing kind of conservative zones. They might have had a five-man front. One would drop off, but nothing that was you know, like, oh, wow, this is cool. As the game went on, you know, they did start to play more man-to-man because they realized Buffalo is not going to run away from us. So it's like the same thing we see all the, all, a lot, all the time. People play Buffalo and they start to go, well, why are we even playing zone? Josh Allen's going to pick us apart. We can play man and then even blitz or send five and contain Josh Allen a little bit more. That would be really how the game unfolded. There was two or three plays on the third down where they doubled uh, digs or did something creative to him. Those were kind of all earlier in the game too. And as the game went along, they didn't even give him special attention really. Uh, but I, I wouldn't say there was anything there from Philly that you went, ooh, wow, they did something special or something great. Let's not forget, Buffalo did have 505 yards of total offense and 420 of them were from one human being. Just want to make sure that's clear. So the Eagles on defense specifically, and yes, that, that's where they've struggled the most, but there were some standouts that you still saw there. Oh, and, definitely. And they, the defensive line gets a lot of love, as yes, it should. Right. They've had some, some injuries there. I don't think Jalen Carter played a ton. I think um, also, who was it else they got? Fletcher uh, Jordan, Cox got hurt Cox during the game. Jordan right? Davis also got hurt yes, in the exactly game. Yes, exactly right. So yep. They needed other guys to step up yeah. in key moments. You, yep. thought the, you thought the linebackers stood out to you. They, they definitely did. You know, one, The Bills O-line, this is where they're annoying. They're, they're good at pass protecting. So, you know, protection wasn't a huge issue the whole game. Like in Philadelphia, we know, can overwhelm people mm-hmm. as far as, you know, what they do in the pass game. It wasn't overwhelming, you know, but they're tough and they keep coming and they're fresh because they got so many bodies and all that. Yes, but the Eagles linebackers, aggressive as hell. You know, whether that's Morrow, Cunningham, uh, 53 Ellis, who came in because I think Cunningham hurt his hamstring, yep. but they definitely popped in, in the run game with. You know, when Buffalo was kind of trying to play a conservative early and throw the ball short and get their line and team used to Philadelphia, but their ability to shoot the gaps, like we talk about with good teams, hey, there's a hole there, linebacker, run through it, because the, the running back's seeing that hole too. He's going to be there in a minute. So they were great at reacting to that. Now, mm. what I would say is they were so fast in re- reacting and so aggressive, I wrote in my notes, right, they better slow the fuck down this week against the 49ers, because if they play that aggressive against the 49ers, they're going to have George Kittle and Debo Samuel running behind them for big gains all game long. So it's a different attack there. But then when you get into Ellis specifically, the linebacker, and I think this is where you're taking me, or at least I'm going to go there, his play on the interception by Josh Allen was the play of the day. It was the play of the day. And he's not going to get any credit for it, but he should get credit for one reason. Let's go ahead. Go. I'll let Let's you go. go inside the notebook. Yeah. Brought to you by no one yet. We still have not gotten a sponsor Damn. for inside the notebook. At, brought to you by uh, at goal line stand two. <laughs> yes. That's who he's bringing yeah. it to us. The top two percent homie is yes. bringing us inside the notebook. So this is where we open up the notebook. We don't know what we're going to see. We know we're going to see cursive writing. There could be a swear word in there. Yeah, yep, that's it right. It could be derogatory towards a player. I do see something that says no joke. 
It's the first bad ball of the game. It's the first bad for read. Josh. Yep. Oh, bad read. Yep. Sorry. Kid can't read, read the read. game. Well, it's difficult. <laughs> it's hard. This is high, this is high difficulty. Um, so if you're watching on Peacock or YouTube, you're seeing it. If you're listening, we'll do the best to describe it. Chris. Yeah. Okay. So the the they got an empty set. All right. It's empty. He's shotgun. It's Kincaid to the right. Shakir in the slot to the right, Dalvin, uh, James Cook, excuse me, all the way outside on the right. So those are the three eligibles to the right side in the empty formation. On the left side, you got Gabe Davis on the outside and Stefan Diggs in the slot, right? Allen audibles to this play, right? And he audibles to this play because it's a two-safety defense, and he's going, wait, I know they're playing zone with how they're lined up. And what he wants to do, and we used to call this 382 Y-stick looky in the West Coast offense. Joe Brady, is he learned from Sean Payton and the West Coast offense. That's what he knows. This is a play that, versus this coverage, you love in the NFL. And you love if you're in the West Coast. Now, what they really want is to get Ellis to kind of move over and start to get head up on Stefan Diggs. And Stefan Diggs comes off the line of scrimmage and comes, comes off slow. He has a two-way option here. Right, and what he really wants to do is run the slant underneath Ellis, to because now there's going to be nobody in the middle of the field, and you can catch the ball running and get some yak. Right, you can mm-hmm. kind of see how that, how I draw it. Yeah. It's a split safety defense, blanket ships to the left, Byers to the right, number thirty-one, and the coverage to the three receiver side on the right is quarters. On the left side, it's cover two. Ellis does a great job of not attacking Stefan Diggs when he comes off the line of scrimmage. Stefan Diggs kind of comes off slow, like, come on, come and get me. Come and get me. I might break out. I might break out because he wants to set him up to get him to move that way, and then he's going to cut right underneath him and be like, sure. ah, I'm too quick. See you later, right? So he tries to do that. Ellis does a great job of holding his ground. He stays inside of Diggs and makes Diggs have to make the outbreaking route. And that's where... Now, again, there's a little bit of a trust tree element here, but you still got to see the throw. And this is where Josh Allen messed up because I think he's staring down Diggs and he's not paying attention to Bradbury on the outside. Now, traditionally, with this type of coverage and cover two over here, Bradbury, you know, he should ride. Gabe Davis takes an outside release and he should kind of ride Gabe Davis up the sideline a little bit to where Stephon Diggs should be there. But Bradbury's a pretty smart guy. He's been around football for a while, right? Giants, Eagles, mm-hmm. he's been coached by some good people. I, I think he has a little feel for what might be happening, right? So he kind of jams Gabe Davis, who goes outside, but turns around right away, doesn't ride him up the field at all. And therefore, he, as he turns around, he's seeing Allen look there and pat because Allen's waiting for Diggs to make the move on the linebacker and break out, and that gives him enough time to where now Allen's kind of throwing it going, wait, all I'm worried about is 53. Diggs has got 53 beat, Mm -hmm. and boom, he collapses on it and gets the interception. Huge play of the football game, as we know, one that Josh Allen will look back at and go, damn, I should have thrown the whole shot to Gabe Davis up the left sideline because I already threw a whole shot earlier in the game where I made an amazing throw, and that would have been another one, but that was truly the only mistake the guy made the whole game, and as we we know that resulted in seven points for the Philadelphia Eagles. And that is how Josh Allen lost the game That's for, the right. buf- for the Buffalo Bills. He's afforded no room of error. So here, let me just point the, paint this picture. Like The first half, right? It was the first dra- second drive of the game. All right? James Cooks drops a touchdown going up the left sideline. I mean, it's right in his hands. Bread basket. Like, right in his face. Right? They come away with no points. You know? Later in the second quarter, they get down to the seven-yard line. Missed the field goal. Gets blocked, right? 
No points, right? Of course, they had another missed field goal in the fourth quarter that was very easily makeable. But there he is. He played perfect. They dropped a touchdown. They don't come away with a field goal. They come away with zero points and drives that he drove them down and did everything Josh Allen was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, shit, I don't know if they can win still, even though they go in at 17-7, right? Where, you know, the quarterback on the other side, okay, and I'm just – I'm not trying to – like the quarterback on the other side – throws an interception in the first half, he fumbles in the first half, and throws for 50 yards, and it's not a big fucking deal. And my point is is that, yeah, the quarterback on the other side has afforded the luxury of, like, he doesn't have to play perfect. It's a different game. And I'm not trying to say that to downplay Jalen Hurts, but I'm trying to explain to everybody that the game is so much harder for Josh Allen and what he has to do and what he has to see on the defensive side of the ball on a consistent basis. And that's where we need to respect Allen more. Sure. And, and it's not always about stats and wins. Again, he left the field twice and they were winning. The defense can make a stop. They're allowed to, right? I mean, he left the field beating Mahomes in a playoff game. The defense lets them drive down twice in a row to win the game. I mean, that's what I mean. Yeah. But people are going to go, oh, Josh Allen, he's 0-6 in overtime. The fuck he does everything in overtime for them every game. Somebody else can help Josh Allen yeah. is the point of this first part of this episode. And they would like that. They would like to do that, too. Some of it you mentioned, too, they're just not capable of. Yeah. I think in pass protection, you said the offensive line looked pretty good. They did. They just yeah, that's can't, where they're good. They, they just can't, can't run, run the ball. They can't run block. Running, run blocking – you're a son of a football coach. Mm-hmm. You know football. Run blocking's an attitude, a state of mind. It gets started back in the spring. It's not like week 12 we're like, we're going to run the ball and be tough now, even though we've been throwing it every play all year long, right? Not going to happen. So, you know, you know, they did some good things in the football game. They definitely did. They played their hearts out, right? Their desperation, like, seeped through the screen, Right. And for them to not come out on top, I know that was crushing for them. Any last uh, takeaway from that Gabe Davis play? We, you saw it on the TV version. You saw the All-22 version I, Yeah, here. watched film. Then yeah. I went to the TV version, as I wrote in my notes, because I was like, I, I like to try to, you know, find things that... This is overtime we're talking about here. It was a last, touchdown. All out he was blitz. wide open, yeah. Odd play in that, like we said, it was a switch release at the line of scrimmage when we talked about a Sunday night. Yeah. Right? From what Josh Allen said in the post-game press conference, from the reaction of Josh Allen on the field, it all makes me think Gabe Davis. From Gabe Davis's reaction on the field and then to going over to the sideline and being pissed and throwing his helmet mm-hmm. you know, on the heater or whatever that, yeah, all that tells me that it was Gabe Davis. It mm-hmm. does. And more times than not, again, my football, what I've been taught in the world – you know, for the most part, is you you continue to go straight and go over the top on that one, right? There, it's a route to go from the outside switch release in and then run a corner route takes too long against all out blitz. So I can't imagine that that would be the answer to an all out blitz. I think Allen threw the ball where he was supposed to from from my studies. And if Gabe Davis stays straight, he's going to catch a touchdown and they're going to win the football game. All right, so that's a, that's a good look on, on that well, side of the last ball. Last thing with the Eagles, too. Just too much zone, Yes. right? They got to do that, and they got to trick it up just a little bit like we talk on defense. It doesn't have to be, like, insane or anything like that. It just has to be a little bit that I think can take them because they're reeling a little bit on defense right now. 
You know, people are kind of picking them apart. They're a lot of yards here as of late, yep. right? So they got to fix something, and that to me would be just a little tweak that I would make. So interesting, though, when you were talking about the linebackers for them and the fact that they popped here. Maybe that aggression, aggression will work against them against the 49ers, but it's why people say that they, they draft so well because they don't prioritize linebackers in the draft. For this reason, they think they can find guys got, that work yeah, in their, that's right, their right. system. Yeah, well, and you gotta you got to, like – at somewhere trim the fat, right? Yeah. You can't have all-stars everywhere, even though they're close to it. But that's one position where they went, you know, if there's one area we're not going to spend top-end money or assets on, well, we got five awesome defensive linemen. I think we can, you know, afford to not have great linebackers. Like the 49ers are playing this week. What do they do? They trim the fat at what position? The corner position. Mm. They go, we got great linebackers and a great front four. We don't think we need great corners behind that. You know, same type of logic, except they just went corners. Eagles went linebackers. Uh, they're still both pretty damn good because of that. Around any corner, within every battle, And with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. All right, flip the uh, page to the Eagles on offense, Bills on defense. There was a second-half explosion. You already mentioned it. Jalen Hurts threw for, what, 50 yards in the first half. They were sputtering a bit. They only scored seven points. Second half in overtime, they scored 24. They started to run the ball more effectively. Their yards per rush in the first half was not actually bad. It was around five yards a rush, but in the second half, it went over six yards a rush. They threw for a whole bunch more yards, pass, uh, yards per pass play, went through the roof. So what, what was the key difference? What, what was the big difference between first-half Eagles offense, second-half Eagles offense? I, I think the big thing is when they play through their run game, it opens up the field. I think that's the thing that I look at more than anything. This was a game, again, where – you know, hey, Buffalo, they're, they're good on defense. They do, you know, some schematical things that, you know, make it hard on a quarterback or play caller. I talked to you. I think you saw in my notes, you know, their disguises and, hey, we're playing run defense, and then they run out of there the last second and play pass defense. Hey, we're playing pass defense. We're way back here. We're playing pass defense. Said Hunt, they're all the way up to the line of scrimmage now, and they've changed, and they're playing a run defense, right? They're good at doing stuff like that. It's not like crazy. It's like it goes from cover four to cover three, cover three to cover four, you know, cover three to cover two. It wasn't like, oh, my gosh, this is the most unbelievable game plan in the world. But they, they, they make teams think and figure out how they're playing before they can just dial up the plays they want. I think the big thing was that. 
was just that the the run game became more of a thing in the second half and they imposed their physicality and the Bills D-line had no chance of stopping the run game. And then because of that, what happens is the Buffaloes panicked and has to start playing run defenses and defenses are so aggressive because they're worried about that. Then it opens up some great looks in the pass game. So when you play that, they tied it together a little bit better with play actions and read option type of plays, RPOs, right? That that all worked. Once they started to run the ball, some better cool play actions came with it. Yeah. Some RPO read options came with it. Yeah. And that's where they get the defense swimming because then all of a sudden they're like, oh, shit, they're in a rhythm. They've got the run game. We're worried about that. And now we got to kind of like take tactical chances to stop other things. And if we don't call the right thing and we're tactically wrong, we're going to be fucked and somebody's going to be wide open over here. And that's when that's what happens with the Eagles. They Their physicality, their talent on the field – compromises defenses to start having to call things that they normally don't want to call in certain situations. Yeah. And to me, that's what happened really in the third and fourth quarter. That's one of the things I'm curious about with the Eagles, too, because you've been so complimentary of Shane Steichen and what he's done with the Colts. It's like, I wonder how much they lost with losing him. And there were times early on in this game, and you wrote in your notes, that they're not tying some of the stuff that they do well together no, enough. exactly right. That's to me, and that's where it, in the third and fourth quarter, I thought there was a lot more than that. And we'll get into some of those examples. But yeah, that, that to me, a little bit sometimes they get a little bit I don't know if it's cocky whatever it's just Rolodex like we're woo, we we came in this game and we're gonna throw on Buffalo we're throwing on Buffalo and it's like okay the first series hey the throwing didn't work that good let's let's start to adjust or you know let's let's start to move on to something else or a different thought you know but but eventually they made the right adjustments and that's where the game changed and you know the it's seventeen to seven third quarter and the Eagles started to just gash the Bills with weak side runs. Weak side runs where, you know, there's a little bit of a hole there between the D tackle and the weak side end. They might block down Travis you know, Kelsey uh, might pull around and all of a sudden you know it's him on a linebacker and this huge hole and the running backs behind him right they started to do stuff like that to where buffalo all of a sudden now was like oh shit you know they've got in the run game they found something out they want to attack with us there and like i said then it became run game run game run game and then it became the read option and the rpos and the play action and they just were screaming down the field wide open and there was big holes in the defense after that so let's take a look at some specific examples from this game we got yeah. some screenshots that pete has compiled here so uh, the bills had to be opportunistic in this game they needed to make some plays they exactly. did make some plays yeah. in, the, in the first half especially uh we got the second quarter interception uh, by jalen hurts here what do you want to point out about this what stood out to you about this well it's cover four right you see that it's kind of like a cover four look and you know this is again where i think they're still a little too much in pass happy mode here late in the second quarter Right, and I want to go like, look at this look. Like you're the fucking Philadelphia Eagles. Come off the ball and kick the shit out of Buffalo, like you did the whole second half. But they're gonna run a little like RPO here, and he's gonna pull the ball after the fake, and Leonard Floyd's gonna be there in the way. And we've kind of talked about this earlier in the year one time on a similar type of play, where you know Hertz doesn't have a lot of arm angles. That's one one of the negatives of his game. Floyd does a great job of kind of sitting there. He waits for Hertz. He stays there. Let's go to the next shot. And Hertz, as he you know pulls the ball, one 
He's got Devontae Smith wide open, and it'll show it even more on the next clip here. But Hurts here, he's going to try to throw to uh, the damn uh, tight end 89 stole here in the flat, and you could see 25 Dotson is just waiting for him to come. So one, if Leonard Boyd doesn't tip this ball, this is going to be dicey with 25 driving on it when he finally does start to throw because he's not even in the throwing position, right? And I don't know, do we have one more shot here uh, just to make sure? But see, you know, see here, he should have just sat on his back leg, look at De- uh, Devontae Smith coming open behind it, and he's going to hit him in a slant, and he's going to be running either way. But mm-hmm. you see there, you know, it's one of the things Hurts needs to improve a little bit. It's just the sidearm throws, drop it down, whatever. He kind of tries to just throw it a little hard past Leonard Floyd's ear, and he does a great job of getting his hands up and knocks it up in the air. So here was a play where he just did not hit the, the wide-open receiver, and I think there were other times that, that he had open receivers, and it wasn't that he threw to the wrong guy, but he elected to, to scramble he's, instead. He's such a good athlete. Right, and he makes so many plays and does some things right to where you know Mahomes and Allen have fallen in this trap too, you know where, hey wait I've been moving and I've run and it's working for me all day right, and I feel like he has had a little bit of an issue lately of falling into that trap. Mm. It's all worked out for him in the end game when you say it, but let's go ahead pull that up Pete. But yeah, there was some plays in this game, you know he was protected phenomenally. And where I would say, like, one thing where I would say, he, like, you got to be careful because it could turn into bad habits this week, especially against the 49ers who were sure. way better than the Bills on defense, right? Where there was plays you saw in my notes where I go, he scrambled, but the pocket was perfect. He didn't need to scramble. Or he scrambled, and there was somebody wide open. And, yeah, I know he ran and got five, but Devontae Smith is open for, like, a 15-yard out route. I don't know what he's doing. And here's a play again where – First play of the second half. First play of the second half. Little read option RPO, right? Here it is, okay? And he's going to keep the ball off the edge here. And if you continue to go, it's not similar, totally dissimilar from the interception he ran, but this time Floyd's not even worried about him. And as you'll see, it's going to be a lot of the same look we just saw. He kind of rolls out here, and another step or two, if he just waits, he's going to hit A.J. Brown on a slant route. It's going to be A.J. Brown against, look at this, against Micah Hyde. Uh, one-on-one in the middle of the field, and it, it might be a touchdown. It might be like knock your head on the goalpost type of thing there, right? But for whatever reason, he comes off of it and goes, I'm going to try to run and make a play with my legs. And he can't get out, of, get out of the jam on this time, and he ends up getting sacked eventually. But there was four or five plays during the game where I just went, man, Jalen Hurts, you're too good here. These guys are open. Like, you don't need to leave the pocket. Just stand there and throw a strike like you did the play before or whatever. And uh, that's the only thing I worry about with just the bad habits of that there. But, again, it didn't matter. You know, the team hangs around. And, of course, he hangs around. Mm -hmm. And then he starts to make plays. And, of course, his legs kill you. And then he starts to go to the right place with the ball. And they caught on fire not long after that. Yeah, and that's where the game started to t- you know take off. Can we look at those plays right yeah. now? The 15-yard touchdown to Devontae Smith early in the the fourth quarter. Here are the screenshots for that one. Well, like it's all set up this drive right here because with the drive that they went and made it 17-14 was the the weak side runs, the gashes. Right, they were just killing them. So this now it's the next drive of the football game and. Buffalo is in the total like, oh, shit, what do we defend now? We can't play man against them, right? We're not big enough up front to handle them straight up in the run game. So they're in a guessing game now. They're trying to do anything they can. And here's a drive where, you know, they, they played run D the whole drive, 
right? And Hertz had a great third and five scramble, uh, you know, and 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 made a few other plays. But you know, now comes okay, we got him guessing, and they run the fake little bubble screen out here to looks like it's going to be to Julio Jones, and the Bills just completely overplay it. You know, they're going to be in trouble no matter what playing cover two against this right here. Uh, but Hertz looks out there. He looks to Julio Jones, and he gets the the corner Bernard and Teron Johnson, the nickel, both fly up to Julio Jones. Why, I don't know, because the first thing I want to tell you is it's Julio Jones. He runs 4-8 right now, so don't be that overreactive. The The – and and then this is and then Pete's being funny he goes and then this is a 2017 Julio Jones <laughs> yeah and then now you've let their two biggest weapons up the field and their and and poor Micah Hyde is going wait I have to cover Devontae Smith and AJ Brown and again to me this is when they run they throw screens they run quarterback design runs they kick your ass and then they get you into guessing on what they might do next and it ends up being a wide open touchdown pass for for Jalen Hurts and an easy touchdown catch for uh Devontae Smith there and that made it what 24 21 right that one yeah right but you know you know let the, the drive itself it's it's you know like I said the drive before they bludgeon them with the run they come out, they run the ball for five yards, I think, on first down. And then they got him in a run defense so bad, and he gets, he gets uh, Devont, uh, Devontae Smith wide open over the middle for a deep crosser, right? Then it's Swift for five yards, Swift for one yard. Jalen uh, Hurts scrambles for 12. Then it's another five-yard run by DeAndre Swift. So they had their heads spinning right there, and then they dial up that right there, touchdown, and the dam was breaking as we spoke right there on Buffalo's defense. So let's give another treat to the Eagles fan base out there on Jalen Hurts because I think we have the dots just not um, too long after that play, that touchdown. You got uh, the uh, interception Olamide, by Allen, and they take over. Here's Zacchaeus, uh, the third and 15. Play of the day. Looks very much like the uh, the Alabama-Auburn play. From, right? Uh, yeah, it's really funny. Like, yeah, You're exactly right. Instant replay. Uh, it, it is the play of the day, play of the game, whatever. It, it, this was the play of the game. This was the straw that broke the camel's back right here. Right? Now, what I will say, and again, you know, Oh, this wasn't this wasn't the one. Sorry, I was thinking of something else. The great job, like nobody opened at first, so he he goes, wait, I'm sitting in the pocket, I don't see anything. Let me get out here and see if I can't threaten the line of scrimmage, which he's so good at, right? Maybe I'll run, maybe I'll throw. He knows now I got enough time, so he gets back into a throwing position and starts kind of like backpedaling towards the sideline and throws a perfect pass in the back of the end zone for Zacchaeus to get. Now, the thing you'll look at is watch Micah Hyde on the left side. Micah Hyde, 23, he overcommits right there. And, and if you saw the real people, you'd go, why, Micah Hyde? Why? Because 47, the corner, was there to cover the guy. He kind of came up all of a sudden trying to worry about, like, the underneath receivers and let Zacchaeus get behind him. And when he got behind him, that's like the second he got behind him, Jalen Hurts let it go. He had great feel or anticipation of it all and put it back in a spot where his guy can get it or nobody gets it and I think he also recognized Micah Hyde's back was turned so he goes you know this is a throw I'm throwing into coverage but the guy can't see me so in quarterback world that's pretty relatively a pretty safe throw and it was a great job by him play of the day for sure next gen stat says that completion probability 
was 14.6%. I believe it. Third and 15? Yeah. You know, the whole conversion was probably less than that, let alone the completion was was phenomenal. It was the most improbable touchdown completion of Jalen Hurts' career. Is that right? Yeah, I guess. Wow. Uh, Him on the sideline like that with the defenders that close to him. So, um, yeah, they made enough plays at the end, and and they pulled it out. That's what they always do. That's what they always do. And at some point, they're going to compromise you and find the answers to where you're going to start to go, oh, damn. We're in a tough spot. We got to start doing things we don't want to do. And that's kind of what happened as the game went on. You know, they couldn't get any pressure on him. You know, like I said, even the plays he scrambled, they were like, you don't need to. Like, it was like, there's nobody around. Right. So they had that. And then even when they did blitz, it was a disaster. They couldn't even get close there either. So that's where Buffalo was like, I don't know what to do. We want to blitz to contain him and help him. But we blitz, and he throws the ball to A.J. Brown, and they get five and eight, and they just pick us apart slowly. So that's where it just became indefensible at the end. And once, once Philly starts to get like that and they crack the code, um, they're, they're almost impossible to stop. The question is, who will stop them? Could it be this week against the San Francisco 49ers? I think maybe probably Eagles fans have gotten on your case when you've mentioned that a 10-1 and team is not as good as the 49ers, but Las Vegas put the 49ers as a 2.5-point road favorite in wow. this game. And since they opened at that point total, yeah. it's been bet up to a 3-point favorite wow. now. So the betters think it's not even uh, big enough. So, well, yeah, well, yeah what, what, can, what can the 49ers do that could make life difficult for the Eagles? The 49ers, I think, you know, are one of the few teams that could do some things to the Eagles that the Eagles do to everybody else a little. Like, oh, yeah, you, you're compromised. You got to stop our run a little bit. We got a lot of tricks up here and things we got to do. Oh, you're going to have to know. Oh, now you're going to have to maybe, you know, play man to man on Debo and Brandon Ayuk. Or, you know, they're just going to be able to do some things to them that I think will get Philly in some uncomfortable positions, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And same with the offensive side of the ball. Because this is one of the few games I look at on Philly's schedule and go, well, they're not just guaranteed to overpower the front and run the ball like, you know, they did against Buffalo there, right? You know, at, when they decide to turn that on it became a gash session with them running the football um so uh, that's where i think the game you know can be interesting this is one of the few teams in football kansas city baltimore the 49ers that can get on the field with the philadelphia eagles and go we're not physically outmanned you know we can hang in there with them toe to toe if we play straight up we're not they're not just going to blow us out and like we've talked about too i think 49ers at their best this year eagles at their best the 49ers are more impressive you know the problem is at their worst the eagles still win and the 49ers lose three in a row Mm -hmm. and that's going to be like where does it meet here and where does this go and of course the you know the 49ers have a chip on their shoulder and and feel like they should have won the game last year i can not wait for this it's gonna one. be it's gonna be we, should, gonna we be. should put that on nbc why don't we flex it in why don't we we're too late on that right because <laughs> yeah. we couldn't do that you, you think you think fox is gonna let that game go come on it's gonna right? break the don't meter. we have the power there break the meter uh, the bills are on a bye um so we'll see how they uh, bounce back from this one you do wonder about the bills like right is there is there a point where it's just like they've been grinding so much and it's just like at a certain the breaking point there's or? so much on them and there's so much on one guy and yeah. yeah they got a lot of stuff going on them all together i will say you know the fact fact that Joe Burrow hurt yeah. Cleveland quarterback situation, you know, the Colts and their quarterback situation, and it's the Houston Texans and our young football team. 
where I'd go, if some of those things weren't the way they were, I'd go, they got no chance of making the playoffs. But because of those situations, I sit here and go, oh, the door's still cracked open, and we'll see where we can go. You know, there was a point where I went, no, 10 wins is going to get you in in the AFC. Now I'm starting to look at it and go, eh, maybe nine can get you in, the way it's kind of unfolding here, right? So we'll see where it goes. But, yeah, there's a lot on their plate up in Buffalo right now. So that was possibly the game of the year. But this next one we're going to look at was not too far behind. We are also going to get to on this podcast the – Homies have chimed in with their signs of life and signs of death, too, like some things they're seeing from their favorite teams that they might be liking or things that they're seeing that might be signs of it's over for them. So we will get to that, but we want to talk about the second game because this was awesome. Uh, Jaguars and and Texans, it was a three-point game. Jaguars do get the win. 24-21 was the final here. And so I I think a lot of people would have thought maybe the game that we just talked about with Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen, that's going to be the quarterback duel of the week, perhaps one of the best of the year. Your headline from what you saw when you looked at the film of this Jaguars and Texans game. It might have been the quarterback duel of the year. This one was it. This This, game actually gave us that duel. That game, it's a different type of quarterbacking than the game of the, you know, Hurts versus Josh Allen, where there's a little more backyard element and all of that, right? But if you're talking about maybe pure, you know, in-the-pocket-ish type of quarterback play, right, and doing that, Uh, I mean, it was two guys that played at, like, an unbelievably high level. I mean, it was one wow throw and play after the other, and both different ways. Uh, That's what I think was really cool, where, you know, I don't want to spoil it, uh, but, but, I mean – yeah, I mean, Stroud was phenomenal. Well, Trevor yeah. Lawrence is phenomenal. Let's get into it before let's, I blow the rest no, of my I mean, headlines. This is, this we don't is, even this talk is the to time it. to blow it. Because, yeah, uh, yeah let's start with C.J. Stroud because he is your man crush of the year. He it's is. like it's already decided. The year's not even over. He's going to be your number one man crush of the year. <laughs> and it grows every time I read your notes. I was like, there's got to be something that eventually he sees about C.J. Stroud. He's like, uh-oh, that's a, that's a problem. And maybe there were some things in this game. Uh, but there was more effusive praise. And, and was it different stuff? Like, are you seeing different elements or... Or just like more of the same with C.J. Stroud that you fell in love with five weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the exciting thing. There's different stuff. It's just it's continues like every week another door opens. You're like, oh shit, he can do that too. Oh yeah. shit, right? He's slowly but surely been like showing us little moments of hey, I can take over a game even when we're not playing our best. You better watch out. Nothing was more that than this game right here because i do we talked about the pressures that yeah. that the josh allen from yeah, the jaguars right we were like okay he, he had 12 pressures in the game and you're like okay that's an interesting because you know were those pressures just because cj stroud is behind the line of scrimmage trying to make something happen and eventually you're going to get close to the quarterback um we do have some numbers uh i think uh, on i was that. wrong with what i said on sunday yeah so so it wasn't just cj stroud kind of running around and creating these pressures no you know and and again that's the hard thing about watching six games at once you know right you're trying to watch and you know there was you know maybe a few plays that were more accurate to what I said Sunday night where it was like hey I felt like CJ Stroud some of the plays where he was buying time and stuff you know it was like people were covered and he was just waiting for somebody to get open so I gotta buy time not the case when I watched the film not at all it really was not you know there was a few of those but for the for the most part of the football game all right, Jacksonville's D-line, they, they won. I mean, the Texans couldn't run the ball at all. 
And then two, the pressure on C.J. Stroud in the pass game was much more turning on the film than I realized. He's so cool and calm. I think TV sometimes doesn't do him justice, right? Because he's just like, oh, I'm getting pressure. Let me slide here. Boom, completion. And you're like, oh, I don't know. What must have been nobody open. But the big thing here was he's not affected by people around him. And I think out of any game, like, this was a superstar performance. This was one-man band, Josh Allen, Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, right? Russell Wilson in his prime type of stuff. Wow. Where I would just, every play, I was like, oh, nobody's open. Oh, he's under pressure. Oh, oh, oh my gosh, he 20-yard completion. I mean, it, it's incredible. They did not deliver from him. In fact, they got into a mode, and I can tell he's in the trust tree there officially now, where they just went, fuck the offense, get in the shotgun, C.J. Stroud, carry the fucking team. And for a rookie, week 12, and the team's just going, let him go. I mean, that just kind of tells you what he is and what he is behind the scenes for that football team. And they've, they've done a little bit of both. We've seen him obviously attack down the field with Tank Dell and Nico Collins. Did you see some surgical approaches maybe in the short passing game with them too? I think I, they do. They have it. I think it's a game they probably could have dialed it up a little bit more, oh. right? Between the pass, the pressures, Jags were playing a ton of de- like zone defenses for the most part. You know, they don't have Tyson Campbell right now. That hurts them because he could kind of be their guy where, hey, you play man and we'll play zone everywhere else and they make it tough on you. But it was primarily zones, right, to where with that type of pressure, it would be a game where I'd go, I'd like to see a few, you know, one, two, three, boom, get it out. One, two, three, four, five. Oh, here's something for a six-yard gain, and let's see if Dell can run for a few more. You know, I love their offense, as you know, because it's attacks. It's down the field. Everything's aggressive, right? And that's awesome. But there was a moment in this game where I was like, hey, a little surgicality, a little more surgicality in the short passing game, I think might have served them well. I think one of the things, too, it's like he throws for over 300 yards, does C.J. Stroud in a game where they really had a hard time running the ball. That couldn't right? do anything. I think their running backs had 11 carries for 32 yards. And so the play-action pass is such a big part of their passing game. I mean, it's really hard to do that if they don't uh, they're not afraid of that running back run. That, 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 to me, was the moment of the game where I just went, oh, he's takeover mode. They're just going, we can't run today. The play-action's lost its luster. Put him in shotgun and let him just deal it out. And, like, yes, the, it was a game where I didn't expect this. The Jaguars' D-line dominated the Titans' O-line. I mean, the Texans' O-line. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, you know, no run game like you're talking about. Play action game gone. Now it's shotgun. We're talking about he was under pressure already. Now it's becoming like, hey, pin your ears back. We're going after him all the time. What he showed in that game, to me, is you better have a pass rush plan. You can't just go after C.J. Stroud like he's so some, you know, Joe Smith off the streets here. Like, he's getting to the point here with his movement and stuff where you almost have to play him a little bit like a Mahomes or a Josh Allen and the fact that you can't just go crazy rushing him and giving him lanes to move through and, and scramble and attack the line of scrimmage. He's too dangerous. And that was a, a problem for Jacksonville as the game went on, as they could not contain him. Yeah. And he showed unbelievable ability to move and throw and do, do that. I mean, I just, you know, you saw at the end, I wrote, it's unreal. I mean, he never misses a throw. He never misses a read. And I wrote, they're letting him carry the team now. And I just that's unheard of for a quarterback in this 12th game in his NFL career. So what were some things that you saw from the I mean, because they still the Jaguars defense, you know, 21 points. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, against a, a, an offense that is flying as high as the, the Texans have been here. Are there things that you saw from the Jaguars defense that you're like, 
you, you liked. I, I love the I, the Jaguars are big across the board on the D line. They got two really good linebackers. You know their secondary is good, right? I love their safeties and Jenkins and and Cisco, right? Their their man to man ability is what's questionable, and especially without Tyson Campbell, like I was talking mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. So that's something that you know. Hopefully, when he's back healthy and they can get a little bit more there, but I do I like their defense. I do, you know, their pass rush seems like it's coming along, right? I think they were worried about that for a time, worried about like, man, our front four can't get there. We got a blitz to get pressure. I think they're having to do less of that. You know, Trayvon Walker pops a little bit. The D tackles in the middle pop, and then of course, you know, Josh Allen of the Jaguars was an absolute ass kicker in the football game, um, but. Yeah, was there something else in your notes that you saw that no, I missed there no, I that you wanted me to hit on? I just to make sure. And I kind of okay. expected that. I kind of expected that, even though C.J. Stroud, like, look at that. He was pressured on 60% of his dropbacks. That's the highest rate of any quarterback since week number six. And he threw for 65% against those pressures. It, it's, I mean, that it's incredible. stands out. The yeah. numbers make it even more impressive yeah. than maybe even just watching the game. Well, that's, that's you, you know, again, back to one of my things we said at the start of the show. I'm big into, did you take advantage of all that's there to be had? And then what did you do when nothing was there to be had? And as you saw, there was a lot of nothing there to be had that we still went, oh, they got 20 yards. And that's because of the greatness of C.J. Stroud. All right. So I kind of thought that you would like C.J. Stroud just because you, you, you've fallen in love with him. You know, you, you used to have a crush on Trevor Lawrence, I think, and, and you, you still do. Um, but I was not expecting necessarily to be – this be the uh, the quarterback duel that you have mentioned here, that you've alluded to. So for this, we're going to flip the page. We're going to go inside the numbers, powered by AWS. And that's how we're going to show our appreciation and your love of Trevor Lawrence in this game. By taking a look at his passing chart here, this is Next Gen Stats. He completed 7 of 14 passes, over 10 air yards. It gave him a season-high 180 yards in week Number 12, he has thrown for at least 130 yards on downfield passes in three of his last four games after doing so just twice in his first seven games. So, yeah, yeah. he's been throwing the ball more down the field, right? especially in this game. I mean, yeah. 14 passes of more than 10 yards down the field, I think, is, is one of the highest of, of this year for 14, any quarterback. 14, you said? 14. Yeah. Yeah, 14. Yeah. So, yeah, what, when, you, when you looked at Trevor Lawrence, did you go into the game thinking that you were going to see a high quarterback uh, level of play from Trevor Lawrence? I don't think it was going to be quite what I thought it was, right? One, I love the attack, right? We've been saying the last few weeks, like, right, I, I like Jacksonville's offense. There's just something missing, right? It's just something... That's a little, like and, and to me, when I finally like started to wrap my head around it and I was watching the film from last week's game, I started to go, I, they got to start attacking the field more. They got a good offense. They got a lot of good ways to throw the ball 5 and 10 and 12 yards down the football field, right? But I think they early part of the years, and the stats backing me up a little bit here, of – it was too much of that, and teams were playing for that. They were going, we stopped the run, we stopped these 5- to 10-yard throws, and we can slow down Jacksonville. They don't really throw the ball down the field that much. Now, attacking down the field, and it opens up everything else, like you always hear me talk about. Now there's a little space on the field. The safeties back up three or four more yards. The corners start to go, I'm playing man, but I'm going to bail out of there a little bit, right? And he even had the Calvin Ridley drop on the le- in the left end zone that should have been a touchdown on one of the deep throws. Two hands on it, should have caught it, period. But that is what I like. And then his quarterback play on top of it, different than Stroud's, where Stroud didn't have people open, he was under pressure, right? Lawrence was under a little pressure. There's no doubt about that because this, you know, this Will Anderson, 
You know, he's fucking boss off the edge, right? Mm. Uh, and Greenard wasn't even totally healthy, so he only played a little bit. So he wasn't an effect. But like the thing that was different about Lawrence compared to Stroud was it was like he had to make – you got to make the decision right now, and you got to throw the ball. The window was about a foot big, and you got to put it in there. And he was just letting it rip. And I mean, bullseye, ding, 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 one after another. I mean, there was a few throws, especially in the first half, where I was like, I can't believe he had the fucking guts to even throw that ball in there between those people, right? But you know, he knows that team's fast. There's not a lot of windows to be had. He processes uh, quickly. You know, he has a pretty quick release. It's not the quickest in football, but it's up there. And then his arm strength is really up there to where when he wants to put some some heat on it, a little extra elbow grease into it, he can do that. And he made a, a, not only the down-the-field throws, you know, but a lot of phenomenal 10- and 12-yard throws where you just went, if he doesn't throw that on the money, that ball's going to get tipped and pop in the air and be interception. Or this guy has to slow down, and now he's going to get hit as he throws it. I mean, as he catches it and the ball's in, like There was a lot of those where you just went, holy crap, what a great throw. And that was Inside the Numbers, powered by AWS. The Jaguars are super intriguing on offense, right? Because you have Trevor Lawrence, and when he plays like the number one overall pick, it's just like, wow, that's a weapon in and of itself. And then you got Travis Etienne, who Uh is one of the more explosive running backs. And there's something else you noted in this game, too. It's the the tight ends and the use of the tight ends for the Jacksonville Jaguars. What did you see there? They got an element of their offense that I think could be a cool little curveball or changeup as the game goes on. Right? I think that's the thing that excites me, and we'll see if they continue to dabble with it. But we know Evan Ingram's a pain in the ass right at tight end. Right, They got Brandon Strange, uh, um, the kid in 85 who they drafted out of Penn State. And then the other kid is, uh, what is it, 89? Is that what his hold damn on, number is? On. I'm trying to – oh, here, it's 89, right? So – and uh, you could pull up his name because I'm blanking on his name. Right. Um, unless you want me to beat you, no, to I, it. no, don't do but it. I don't do it. I'm going to, I'm going to beat you. Okay. I'm going to beat you. Ahead, His I'll, name yeah. is uh, Luke Farrell. Luke Farrell. Damn it, Ohio State. I couldn't think of it. Yes. Now he's kind of the blocking guy, right? Strange. Penn State is kind of the. I can run routes and block pretty good. And then Evan Ingram's like, I'm awesome at catching the ball, and I'm just kind of okay at blocking, right? Were there times that all three of them were on the field at the same time? All three on the field, right? And, hey, they got a big old line to begin with. And like you said, they got an ATN at running back. They're going to be able to put some teams in some blinds here. Binds here. Like, mm. there was a, a little point in the football game where they put all three tight ends in, and, you know, the Texans go out, and they're, we got to get another linebacker in there, right? We got to play four, and they can't play nickel. We got to play four, three, base defense, right? We got to get big here, right? So they do that, they run the ball, but then the next play, they split out and, like, shotgun. And all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, well, you know. Your three linebackers, can you cover these, these guys down the field? And I think they got something there where they're going to be able to create some headaches from some people and give themselves another element of offense that you know, will make teams game plan and worry about it a little bit. Let's look at the defense here now for the Texans because there were some things that you, you liked there. You already mentioned Will Anderson. Damn. Looked awesome to you again. Will Anderson is just the get-off, you know, it's not even about the pass rush all the time, too. It's, what I, it's the instincts and the physicality in the run game. He is just, you know me, I love guys that have no regard for their body, right? No regard. You, you, can't, you can't think in football. There's no regard. You gotta, hey, coach says go run through the wall, you go run through the wall. I'll think about it later when I'm retired, yeah. right? And that's what I love about him. It's just like, here's the running back running through this gap. He sells out. Let me dive in there and just 
fucking create chaos and I'll tackle him and knock the blockers down and do it all. Right? He's just he's great that way. Um, and then of course his get off and, and pressure around the edge is damn good too. And there's another player too. Uh huh. And I brought his name up a few times lately, but a player that you says has the chance to be the uh-huh. next Fred Warner. Uh huh. Christian Harris, forty eight for them, right? I like Toa Toto, uh, right? Toa Toa. Yeah. Yes, from Alabama. Yep. He doesn't start. You know, they let Blake Cashman start, and when they go base, Toa Toto comes in. But Harris has a similar body makeup to Fred Warner. There's just a style of play that reminds me of him, and he's got rockets up his ass to where he can fly sideline to sideline. I mean – He's phenomenal that way. He fits the defensive scheme. He's being coached by D'Amico Ryan. And Fred Warner, let's not forget, what was he, a fourth-round pick, right? Oh, I think somewhere in there. Christian Harris, I think, is a third or fourth-round pick, too, as well. And I think they found something in that guy. Yeah. Interesting. As he continues to play in this scheme and gets comfortable in the NFL, his physical gifts are up there with anybody in the sport as wow. far as running and explosion goes. Third-round pick out of Alabama. Alabama. He's a lot of Alabama guys, as Pete Nelson might When in doubt, Georgia and Alabama. Draft <laughs> yeah. those guys. They're probably going to be pretty good. Uh, you mentioned D'Amico Ryans, and yeah. you were sometimes critical of the 49ers' defense. Um when we, you know, just it's just I forget exactly the corners. The I didn't know. remember. I used to always go. You can attack on the outside against yep. the 49ers because they play a lot of zones. You can you can just if you're willing to throw the ball outside, Seattle you can attack scheme. there. Yes. Seattle scheme. They don't play a lot of man to man. Right? They play cover three bail or it's cover four where they're really worried about bailing two kind of. And I always said, hey, with the 49ers and me go run. You could throw the ball out there yeah. outside on those guys. Is he the same kind of coach? Is he running the same thing in Houston? He's running the same thing except there is more man dabbled into the conversation now mm. and i think the the big thing is is because he's got you know some corners on the outside who can cover people you know stingley is starting to you know pop it's not like oh wow you know he's the third pick of the draft quite yet type of pop but it's still damn good and then steven nelson on the other side you know so they have that, that's where I feel like they have a little bit more versatility than maybe he did with the 49ers. Yeah, let me blitz here. Or let me do this little crazy thing, and I'll play man-to-man because I'm comfortable with my corners on the outside. And it's been a nice little curveball or change-up for, for me, at least, is watching them and, and watching D'Amico Ryans all the years with the 49ers. Houston Texans next up for them, the Denver Broncos. That's going to be kind of – That's, that's going to be a good game. game. No doubt about it. I mean, that's, it's you know both teams that are hot and believing in each other and two quarterbacks, again, that – you know, Russell ain't playing like C.J. Stroud. Let me, let me just get that oh, yeah. right. Uh, but Russell's playing good. He's taking care of the ball. And unlike last year, early this year, he's making his best plays when the game counts instead of his worst plays, which is what he did last year and early on this season. Cincinnati Bengals face Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars on Monday night football. Trevor might be able to dice up the Bengals' defense, which not, has not played as well as... We had thought they were going to play no, coming into the year. No, you know, you kind of put it on my radar like week three of the year with like something you texted me. The big plays, the big plays, given up. and you're yeah. like, look at the Bengals, and you know, ever since I, I, you kind of put that on my radar, it's it is it's them. That's the problem. It was like what at one point in the year it was the most explosive runs and the most explosive passes in football were all by the Bengals defense, right? Yeah. So that's an issue, especially with a team balanced like this, and you worry about you know. The Bengals' offense, are they going to be able to stay on the field, sustain drives? You worry about the Bengals' defense kind of wearing down eventually against this Jaguars attack. Uh, let me end with this. Yeah. 
One more these, thing? These two quarterbacks. One more thing. <laughs> these two quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence and C.J. Stroud. Yeah. If you were building a team for the next Gosh, five years, damn. Which, one, which one would you take? Gosh, damn. Hmm. I mean, you can't go wrong. Yeah. Whew. I love me some C.J. Stroud. And I, I certainly don't say that to be disrespectful to Trevor Lawrence. There's just something about the style of play and the way C.J. Stroud throws and sees the field that I think – is really special. And I think Trevor Lawrence is special. You know that. You've heard me talk when we're off air or whatever, right? It's like if I had a do-over, I definitely would go, oh, Trevor Lawrence over Zach Wilson, right? I mean, that's, that's he's put egg in my face with that one. But I'd, yeah. I'd probably take C.J. Stroud. Wow. Yeah. This is going to be tough because you do the top 40 quarterback rankings every year, and I feel like your top five is getting very crowded right now. <laughs> I, I really think that. I, I was like of the – I, I think there could be maybe seven quarterbacks that you could make a case for, for being in the top five. five right? The problem is there's ten top five quarterbacks. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do every year. <laughs> yeah. um, and then we still have to make the list. Yes, All right. Uh, DraftKings wants us to look at the AFC odds to make the playoffs. And so when DraftKings wants something, we do it. We do it as well. Um, right. So let's take a look at the, the odds right now. And these are kind of the bubble teams that we have um, right now. And the Houston Texans, believe it or not, are a bubble team. And I might even say, like, they're a favorite, and actually DraftKings has them as a favorite to make the playoffs right now. They're minus 110, even though they're 6-5 and five right now. The Steelers at 7-4 and four are minus 235. The Colts, who are currently in the playoff picture, actually not favorites to end the season there. They're plus 100. Uh, the Broncos at plus 135. The Bills down there at plus 400. If you believe that uh, Josh Allen can carry them and some of those injuries to the quarterbacks and other teams in the AFC could keep them down, um, I, I, those are those are interesting odds to me. Very interesting. I don't know that I, I agree 100% with some of those numbers. Like, I don't know that the Browns, yeah. especially with Miles Garrett, who I guess is going to play. Yeah, yeah. But, but still, yeah. still the, you know, so the many offense, injuries on off, the so quarterback many injuries on issues. Yeah, it's, it's, they're, they're a tough one for sure. You, just, you wonder if, like, can their defense keep, you know, holding it down that way? You know, is the run game going to be good enough to, to just dominate all the way there? I, listen, I understand the Steelers being at the top of that. I do. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's, of course, a, 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 a grittiness and a toughness that we know Pittsburgh has. They know how to, they know how to win football games altogether. Pete knows easier schedule down the stretch. You too. look at their schedule, and I think that's what you got to base a lot of this on, right? You know, I mean, yeah, the Cardinals, the Bengals without Joe Burrow, the Patriots are on there. Now, they got the Seahawks and Ravens at the end of the year. That ain't going to be easy, yeah. right? You know, and they got the Colts on December 16th. So there's still a little work there to be had. Of um, those, of those yeah. six teams, I'm not going to ask you which ones you think are going to make the playoffs. I'm going to ask you which ones would you want to make the playoffs right now. And I would make the case for the bottom three. I, I think they I would think be better watches on TV. The Texans, Broncos, and Bills right. would be I, the most entertaining. I, I would agree. You know, I, I think that's what I'd want to see, too. You know, I think, you know, again, I respect the Browns and the Steelers and what they're doing, but, you know, that could, those could be some ugly football games. And it could be also, like, ugly as in, like, okay, it's 12-10 or something. Also it could be ugly and, man, they just – neither one of these teams has enough offense. And even though their defenses are great, they're slowly getting worn down and we look up and it's, uh, it's 27-9 to and they're, yeah. it's not that fun to watch. Right, yeah. where I don't think we would fall into that trap with the other guys, right? I, you know, the Texans. I, I look at the Texans and and see a lot of things about their football team that I, I, you know, if you made me pick a team right there, 
I, I think I would take the Houston Texans. I would. And, mm. again, they don't have a horrible schedule either here. We know that the Broncos, that'll be a big, you know, how that sets up. They got the Jets after that, the Titans, two out of three games with the Browns scheduled in between and the Colts. So, you know, you're seeing, like, the Steelers and Texans, they actually are playing some similar opponents here. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be interesting. But I'm with you. I'd rather have those bottom three and then those top three. What do you, th- what do you think the Houston Texans' ceiling is? Because – we started the year thinking like they were the one team that we didn't have to worry about making the playoffs I know. in the AFC. They were like now, definitively my they were one like, team. Okay, they're not, they're not gonna, we know one team's not going to make the playoffs. Yeah. And now it looks like they might. And actually, the, the, they're favorites to make the playoffs. And, and they just played toe-to-toe with a team that you said maybe by the end of the year we're talking about as a potential one seed or the best team in the, in the AFC. I mean, what's the Houston Texans ceiling right now for you? I, like, I think if – they get in the playoffs, they can win a playoff game. I do think that. And then I think they could be almost like Jacksonville last year. Then go to one of the top seeds in the second round and put on a good game, and we go, oh, man, Houston almost pulled it out. Wait till next year. They're going to be dangerous, right? You know, they get another weapon around C.J. Stroud. And, blah, 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 and like you're, I feel like that's about where it is. I don't see – you know, two games, I don't think so. I think something would have to happen kind of remarkably. One team fumbles, does dumb shit, whatever. But that's how I envision it. Get in, maybe win that first one, give that second game, that one or two seed a handful and more than they wanted, but ultimately lose that game. That's, that's crazy because um, it is. We're, we're talking about the Jaguars as a team. Two and a half years ago, I had the number one pick and draft Trevor Lawrence, and now they're one of the top Shows teams Shows you in how football. quick you can turn and it around. Houston, yeah, just last year. You have, you have a good draft two or two. Two and three or whatever. And you hit your owner's willing to spend a little money. You can be right back in the mix of things in no time. Don't forget on DraftKings Sportsbook this season, new customers can bet $5, pocket $150 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, all customers can get a no sweat, same game parlay every day. You can download the app, use the promo code unbutton when you sign up. DraftKings Sportsbook, the The crown crown is yours. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, now we shift our focus to back on track, the Chiefs offense. It took them maybe a quarter and a half but perhaps they're back on track here. Perhaps they have their go-to receiver. We wanted to make sure, though. 
We wanted you to go That's into what the notebook. I'm here for. We wanted you to make sure. It's like, go back, check your work. I'm so the Columbo of football. Had to come back and uh, and beat the Raiders, which they did, 31 to 17. And so, uh, from just you know, big picture here, the the Chiefs strategy, their offensive approach. Yeah. What did you see that that started to work for them that maybe can you know, be kind of a formula for them. If they're hitting a rut offensively, they can – what's their bread and butter? Yeah. What's the Chiefs' bread and butter this year? Well, the Chiefs' bread and butter is their defense and probably their <laughs> run game. Their right? bread and butter on yeah. offense is their defense <laughs> and no. Patrick Mahomes. But, but you know, first off, like you said, it took them a while to get going. You know, but, but what I didn't realize watching on TV is they only had the ball four plays in the first quarter. The best way to stop the Chiefs is keep them off the field. Right? Yeah. As a, we've yeah, heard yeah. that before. But – I think they're showing maybe more versatility in their offense than I've ever seen before, right? And I don't know if that's what you were alluding to in my notes and tried to bring me there, but I think that is the thing that jumps out to me about them that I haven't seen from them in years. Now, what I mean by that is, one, just the way, hey, we know running the ball is kind of a new thing. You know, not that they're a run first team, but they're about as balanced as it gets as far as the, what I look at. And I know they always want to throw with Mahomes, but they're not going to give up on the run like they did in years past. So there's that. The screen game to the wide receivers is becoming a thing, right? They have a vast array of ways to get their guys the ball out in the you want to crowd the box you want to crowd the middle of the field to take away Kelsey and all that boom he's amazing get the ball out of his hand as quick as anybody ever and throw the ball from his knees and throw it up like a rocket on time and do that I think that's the thing I love about them you know the two and three tight end sets as far as you know uh, personnel is much more a part of their attack than years past. And I think it's continuing. So the versatility of formations and concepts, as good as I've seen from the Chiefs, the last two weeks they are playing through their big people, the O-line, the tight ends, not just spread every play. Hmm. And I think that is brilliant coaching by Reed and Nagy to go, wait, you know, our receivers aren't, you know, all that in a bag of chips. We got some young guys that are still kind of learning our offense and stuff. We can't put the pressure on them and like, oh, Mahomes has got to throw it 45 times a game and 400 yards. It's not going to happen. So they found a new way to reinvent the wheel for them, and I, I think it makes sense for, for the team they got right now. So who does Patrick Mahomes like in the passing game, his wide receiver specifically? And you noted that, uh, I mean, I think they've yeah. Sunday they may have found their wide receiver number one. And yeah. also, in watching the film, you're like, well, I might have also identified a, a wide receiver who has fallen out of the trust tree. I, I, I think so. You know, I think, you know, one, it, it became very apparent to me as you watch the game, there are two receivers I think they're going to feature going forward are going to be Rasheed Rice and Sky Moore. Those are the ones that are going to get all the meat and potatoes. If they go two tight ends, two receivers, it's those two receivers are in the game, hmm. right? I think Justin Watson, you know, he's a little out of the trust tree, I think, because of his performance against the Eagles, some of the drop passes and bad moments there, right? You know, there was, there was a few times in this game where Mahomes, like Hurts, I, he moved around. I want to go, Watson's open, but I think he was like, I don't want to fucking throw to that guy. I don't trust him. Or he was like, I already made up his mind he wasn't going to throw to him. You know, I think he and Valdez Scantling will only be on there if they want him to take the top off the defense or when they go three tight ends and they go, we got to stop the run, that's when they put Valdez Scantling on the board, mm. on the field. Because now, hey, play action, he runs a post, hopefully he catches it, and unlike the Eagles game. But, yeah, yeah I think you're going to see them feature – Four and 24, Sky Moore and Rasheed Rice. And this was the first game that I felt like 
there was probably six or seven plays in the game plan where Rasheed Rice was the bona fide number one read. They called the play to hope they'll get the ball to him and see what he can do. And I think that was the first time I've seen him have that role in this offense in his young career. A season high in yards, 107, played 68% of the offensive snaps. What, what does he do really well? He doesn't have that elite speed. No, but it's enough that it scares you, okay. right? you got to respect it. Like he, he can run by you on a go route, right? And you saw on the shallow cross route, he catches it and turns it up the sideline and runs away. from it. It's deceptive speed because he's kind of like a, a powerful runner with bigger strides. Right, so it's one of those. Even when I was watching on college, I was like, "Is he fast?" And I was like, "Well, damn, he's pulling away from everybody for an 80-yard touchdown here. I think he's mm-hmm. faster than I think he is." Right, so same kind of thing. And then he's got, you know, he's six three, he's two hundred and seven or eight pounds. Right, he's got good body control, so he's he can catch the ball and break tackles arm tackles, drive the pile forward, and then he can win the big boy plays on the outside where, hey, if I don't beat you deep, you could throw the ball back shoulder to me and I'll bump and grind with that guy next to me and I won't let him catch the ball. You put the ball in the right spot, I'll go get it. Yeah. Right? I think that's the good thing there. Now, even had a play too, and like Mahomes scramble. He found the right spot. Mahomes hit him. Showed some instincts there. So I think that's the thing I like about his game. I think they found a guy at least that they can feature a little bit in the in the uh, the pass yeah. game, run the ball, short passing game, screens, and the occasional shot play. That is the formula for the Chiefs right now, and I like it. And I think it's going to be the best way to maximize their football team and what they got here in 2023. Let Isaiah Pacheco be your hammer of this offense. He's fun to watch run. I'll he, tell you that much. He is a blast to watch run. I mean, to me, he's like Marshawn Lynch light. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of just like, you want to hit that crazy fucker running that hard? He that thinks big? he has the body of Marshawn Lynch. Oh, my gosh. Sure. The body and even the running style a little bit r- reminds me of him. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He makes a lot of tough yards. If there's a hole, he hits it as hard as hell and runs through it. My problem with Isaiah Pacheco is if they called the run to the left, he can't see anything but the fucking left. Like, there was a number of plays, and I think that's probably why you're bringing this up, where I want to go, I know you're supposed to run between the guard and the tackle on the left, but that hole is not there, and there's a huge hole to cut back into. He's got to get better at seeing cutback lanes. And I'm sure when he was young, they kept, because they were, you know, young guys always want to cut back or bounce outside. So I'm sure they were like, just run to the hole. You're too big and powerful. Run to the hole, run to the hole. But we've graduated now. He's got to start looking for the damn back, uh, cutback lane because there was runs not only last week against the Eagles, but against the Raiders, of course, on Sunday where I went, oh, my gosh, if he just sees the backside linebacker over-pursuing too much, he's going to run for 20 yards in the backside hole and he doesn't quite see it the right way all the time. If he does that and figures it out, it will be on Sunday Night Football in his next game against the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field. I like this game. We will, we will be there for Ooh, that. Baby, baby. All right, we close the book on your notebook. Okay. we got a few minutes here. Let's, okay. uh, let's take a, a pulse of the homies out there. What up, what, homies? What they're optimistic about and what they're pessimistic about with their, with their own teams is signs of life or signs of death. This is what you tweeted out there. You go, um, we want the signs of life, a.k.a. struggling teams, units, or players who might be turning a corner here. You've seen some signs of life. Or signs of death, like good teams that are dying or they have a fatal flaw. (laughs) And so signs of life, we got some Packer fans. Uh, PFT Ghost, who chimed in on Sunday as well, is liking things right here. He goes, how much can we glean from the Green Bay Packers' improvement on the offensive side? They've been able to move the ball quite effectively, really the last three games, but the last two have come against subpar defenses. Chiefs on Sunday night will be a major measuring stick. 
What do you think? They're alive. <laughs> They're alive. Yeah. They are. I watched that game back yesterday, too. Here's, here's the difference in the last few weeks, and then it, it hit full fledged go time on Thanksgiving. And first off, I mean, at PFT Coast mm-hmm. is calling your defense, you know. Uh, uh, subpar. We're calling our defense subpar right <laughs> You're now. Still too. the number ten defense in football. Okay. All, right? all right, but yeah, we know there's concerns. But I think the big thing is this: one, we know they got talent, right? I mean, Dobbs and Watson and Jalen Reed mm-hmm. and Musgrave at tight end. Those are that's four fuckers that can go. Like no doubt about it, right? And we know Watson's scary. Reed on the reverses and the intermediate stuff is scary. Dobbs is damn good, and Musgrave can run really damn good for a tight end. And we know they got some running backs, especially when they get Aaron Jones back. The big thing on Thursday was it was the first game where I felt like there was fuck Jordan Love. We're running the offense and we're attacking, right? No more like oh I want to take care of him in this situation and I want to run this play because he's comfortable about it. I feel like the last few weeks, and I think I've said this, it finally got to the point a little bit where they started just go he's either gonna you know, succeed or he's going to fall flat in his face and fail. But we can't, like, keep the training wheels on anymore, mm-hmm. right? And then Thursday hit the all point of, like, by far the most creative, aggressive attack I saw the Packers have the whole year with Jordan Love. And that's where they're dangerous. It's where it could be scary on Sunday night. It can be. We know the Chiefs are aggressive on defense. They play man-to-man. And you're rolling the dice playing man-to-man against this crew. And he wants to throw it deep, and he's getting better at throwing it deep. So I do like what I see from the Packers, and I think it is sustainable. And Peyton Man Thing says to you, Packers, <laughs> exclamation point, is Jordan Love the future for the Pack? Looking I, more like that. I, it, it is looking more like that. And, you know, I know he alluded to a few weeks ago there. Uh, he said uh, they were simplifying the offense. And, yeah, they were. You know, like I was saying, there was a point there where I was concerned and it was so simple and they were so worried about making sure he didn't look good that it was, it was hard for them to play good or look good on offense or as a football team. That's gone. Now, he plays like he has the last two or three weeks. He's going to be the future of the Green Bay Packers. I see things in his game that certainly show he could do it. I went through a time here during the year where I was like, I don't know. I'm not sure he's going to be able to turn the corner here. But like our guys say here, the last three weeks he's certainly showed another side, and Thursday was a whole different side. His talent is real. Mm-hmm. He can run. He's big in the pocket. And you saw he can make some awkward throws off his back shoulder and do some of that. He does, does have some arc talent. So yeah. it continues on this trajectory. you got Jordan Love for a long time. Uh, totally. I think he's clearly shown enough where yeah. it's like the risk of maybe getting better in a draft than a quarterback. I mean, look what we just had with our quarterbacks, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, and you know, Zach Wilson. Lot, right? You never know. No, right? Even never some know. of the, exactly the highest right. prospects. Right. It's just like we've seen, enough, we've seen him do it in the NFL yep. against NFL defenses where you're like, I think you can ride that And at Jeff McKeefree, he wanted to know about the defense. The defense has got so much young talent on it and stuff, and yeah, they're starting to be real on that side of the football. If they can get their damn corners back healthy, you know, Green Bay is one of those teams where you know, I wouldn't be shocked if they made a late, late run here because yeah, they got talent across sure. the board. So that scares me as a Lions fan good. that we have a team showing signs for. of life in the NFC North, but good thing the Vikings might be showing a sign of death. Salary Cap Sports said... Uh, can you hit on the four Josh Dobbs interceptions, even though three of them were on tipped balls? Not his fault, but the sports radio talk guys beat him up over them. Okay, so we'll see if I can get my mind right on these here. It was not a good game. He did get a little unlucky. He missed throws. He missed Jordan Addison on a wide-open go route that probably would have changed the game. Down the right? sideline, Down the right? sideline. Yeah. He threw what? 
four interceptions and probably had had another pick six dropped and probably had another two dropped in the game, I want to say. I think he threw four and he had three dropped. The first one was his fault. Bad throw, Jalen Johnson, left sideline, right? He's a back the corner, he's in zone. He tries to throw a ball over the top of him, doesn't throw it over the top of him, right? The second one, I'm not sure if I can remember. Though the second one, over the middle of the Madison on the fourth down, right? All right, it's third and four. And that was the one that bounced off his face, right? He threw the slant to the left, right? That was Addison's fault. He threw it hard, and yeah. you know, I think Troy Aikman and, and Joe Buck said he put some hum baby on it, and they yeah, were talking yeah, about yeah. Chris Collins. Or, he did. He threw it hard, but no, I don't give a shit. I mean, the guy should catch the ball. Yeah, Hit gotta, him right in the fucking face. you got to have a softer face, yeah. you know? <laughs> right. So that was on Addison. Yeah. Then, the, then there was the fourth down over the middle, right? And I believe that was, um, you know, 17. Um, K.J. Osborne over the middle. And the ball got tipped in the air. Jalen Johnson made a nice play. Watch the play back on film, and you'll see that he had a slow down and the ball was behind him. If he throws a good ball, Jalen Johnson's not going to be able to get to it, right? So, yeah, that's a tough one. It wasn't the worst ball, but it wasn't a good ball. You throw a ball off target over the middle, sometimes that's what happens, right? Mm-hmm. And then the fourth one is completely Josh Jobs' fault. He tries to throw the ball as he's being hit and throw the ball to the check down, and it bounces off the defense alignment. That, that's his fault. You, you can't do that in that moment. So, you know, I think between all of that and then probably some missed reads and some of the other missed throws is why Kevin O'Connell even came out yesterday and said, I was thinking about taking him out during the football game. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he really is uh, Jeremy Lin. We we mentioned it, <laughs> he and Jake Croucher, our friend, saying that it's it's like the same thing, Lin Sanity, and, and Lin Sanity was only uh, three or four weeks, well, and so that's about what Josh Dobbs is right as now. As you've heard me say from the get-go, there's a reason he's been on six or seven teams, right? right? It, it, they weren't all wrong, like, oh my gosh, we missed a superstar starting quarterback. No. You know, there's a reason they were one and seven in Arizona. As we said, it was impressive, but we broke them down once or twice when he was a quarterback there. And I told you, there's still a handful of throws he misses every game where we go, ooh, it's better than our expectations, but it's not good enough to be a starting quarterback, let alone the more he plays, the more the flaws will show. That's my belief. It's usually what happens to backup quarterbacks. That's why they're backups. They're good to hold down the fort for three or four games, but teams start to get a feel for how they play and what they do, and the flaws start to reveal themselves. And I think that's a little bit what we had the other night. Could see Jaron Hall, the rookie out of BYU. No chance. What? No chance. You think Nick Mullins? A hundred percent. Oh, you think we'll see Nick Mullins? A hundred, that, to me, that was what O'Connell's comment was. Justin Jefferson being back, right? He kind of made a comment. If he's back, that'll dictate who plays quarterback. If Justin Jefferson's not back, Dobbs will play because he can do some running and they can make up some offense okay. that way. Right. If Nick Mullins is... If Justin Jefferson is back, they're going to go with Nick Mullins, the guy they know the, knows the whole offense. He's okay. Kirk Cousins' light. That's why he was with Shanahan on the 49ers. He knows he's going to have a better understanding of the offense, let alone I think he's a more accurate thrower than Joshua Dobbs. I think they'll end up going with him with Justin Jefferson being healthy after the bye week. What do you got against Jaron Hall? Why ain't you gonna like he just ain't, it ain't ready. And it, I wouldn't even want to do to that kid right now. Okay. They're in the middle of a playoff conversation here, right? You know, He hasn't played enough. 
it'd be tough to throw him in that situation right here and what have the whole city of Minnesota blame him for losing games right down the stretch. They don't sure. need that. He's not ready for that. No, he's not. Uh, life and death signs for the Detroit Lions. <laughs> Jordan Cole, eleven, said Lions have both sides. They got Gibbs and Monty who can carry them in the backfield. I think the run game looks awesome, uh, but Goff could kill them. So he thinks uh, there's signs of life and death all on the offensive side of the ball. And I would argue that. The offense is like I don't think Jared Goff is going to be the turnover machine that we've seen in the, I don't these two games. Either, right. um, so I feel like I, I feel pretty good about the offense. Like for me, the sign of death is like okay, how how bad can this defense? It's trending in the wrong direction it right is. now. It is. You know, we've hit on it, right? You know, we talked about the zone defenses, the inability yep. to play man, right? You know, oh, there goes DJ Moore, there goes Christian Watson, right? You can't. It's it's scary for you guys that way, All right? Um, and you know, offensively, like we talked about too. I do think what teams are going to continue to do here and what Green Bay did a little bit is they're going to, they're going to play man. They're, because, you know, other than like we've talked about with Jamison Williams, he's the only guy that scares you, and he's not full-fledged all the way in the offense like all systems go yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they're going to continue to see people challenge their receivers and then people load the line of scrimmage, one, to pressure Jared Goff because he's not good under pressure. You know, throughout his career, and of course, your run game's a handful. Yeah. So I think that's you know, what's going to be the next answer you guys got. I'm with. I don't think we're going to continue to see this same Jared Goff. I don't. You know, Jared Goff is is uh, still really good, and I think they'll find a way to shore up protection and come up with a new formula for kind of how the way teams are playing them right now. All right, let's pick one more here. Are you partial to any three? Are you Ooh. seeing the three here? Are you partial to any one of these three? Signs of life or signs of death. Well, I mean the one the one on the bottom's pretty good. Neil Mo twenty ten yeah. says, "What's up, the unbuttoned squad?" Hey, what's up, Neil Mo twenty ten? Signs of life, the Broncos' offense, particularly what they did to be so effective in the run game against the Browns' D. Thanks as always for the great content. Thank you, Neil Mo, for the question. The, I, I mean, I got I'm with them in the life department there at, at Neil Mo twenty ten. Um, defense, we know, been good. Right? Got a pretty good secondary. I think they figured out how to play there. They do got some pass rushers that can be disruptive. And I, the big thing in, in that the, the jumps out to me is just I feel like their game plan is the right way every week. That's the, the right thing, right? Like when you play Cleveland, you got to run the ball, and then you got to make sure that their defense doesn't win the fucking game, right? I was watching that game the other day, kept going, watch. I kept saying to Devin McCoy, they're, they're going to make a play. You're going to, they're going to get a turnover or just something. This game's going to turn into Cleveland's favor. But Russell Wilson, I'm sure Sean Payton all week was be conservative. You've got to take a sack, take a sack. Don't let these fuckers get mad and foaming out of the mouth and start getting strip sack fumbles and pick sixes and all that. Because when that happens, then we're behind, and now we got to throw, and now we got to pass block against these dudes, and you can't do it, right? And then they're creative in their coverages and everything there. So that, to me, is week in and week out, I see the right approach. And then, of course, the team's buying into it. And right. Russell, like we said earlier in the show, they are running the ball. Okay, and then Russell's playing the right way. They're not going to re like be one of the top offenses in football, but they're going to have the right attack, and they'll pick their moments of when to make a big play. And I think they're going to continue to play with that way. But I, I, I see life more than I see death in Denver. Sean Payton's like, do not screw this up for me, Russ. Do not. It's my reputation on the line. <laughs> keep it, keep it safe, and keep it clean out there. All right, thanks to the homies for that. We end. 
with the big butt of the week awards we end times with the two. big ends. We end with the big ends. Woo! It is we that time. Lie. Big butt, so we cannot lie. The big butt of the week. Oh. Time to give some love to these Woo! big guys. Some it, touches. There's a couple sacks, forced <laughs> fumble. He's a butt-ting superstar. And give it to him, Ahmed. One butt cheek. And this is why you're the big butt expert of the world right now. Pete thinks this is the best thing that we've ever done on this podcast <laughs> is that song, Make That Song. Uh, it's very good. It gets me pumped up to talk about not one week, but two weeks of big butts because we missed last week. Damn. So we, real quick, we want to catch up on week 11 right? because uh, you didn't invite me on the, the Wednesday pod, and I was off doing Thanksgiving <laughs> stuff anyway. Uh, congratulations, uh, defensive tackle Eric Armstead for the 49ers. Your first career Big Butt of the Week award versus the Bucks led all DTs with 12 pressures, including 10 hurries. Also had a sack in that game, so that defensive line, very strong for the 49ers. Definitely, definitely. I think, you know, the addition of Chase Young, them being healthy, after the bye week, I would bet Shanahan and, and Wilkes were a little bit like, hey, D-tackles, you guys have been good, but we're paying you to be great. Time for you to fucking be great, both of you. Mm. I feel like Hargrave and Armstead have been great the last few weeks. And then at edge, for the first time this season, it's about time. It's crazy. It's about time. Uh, Micah Parsons for the Dallas Cowboys, what he did against the Carolina Panthers in that offensive line, led all edge players with three sacks, also tied for the most pressures with nine. I feel like Micah Parsons is always in like the top three. Always. He just, uh, it's some... just like, does he actually get the sack to get the numbers this year, right? I know. I mean, he's the ultimate turn on the film. This guy pops more than anybody else in football player. Right. And he's another guy of like the F the play ups that would increase his, you know, defensive player of the year type of talk a lot more. Uh, but, yeah, he's starting to put up the stats along with the yes. F to play the stats up. And he's he's amazing. I love watching Micah Parsons. So congratulations. Kristen has done double duty this week. Congratulations to Eric Armstead and Micah Parsons. Parsons, not necessarily the biggest, butt, but no. definitely muscular. Yeah, definitely muscular. He's more quads and hamstring. Yeah. You know, Armstead, not the biggest, butt either. But if you saw Eric Armstead in person, you'd go, are you fucking kidding me? That's <laughs> yeah. a human like he is truly a tree trunk. I mean, he is a giant. So uh, he doesn't need to have a big butt because he's got big everything he's else to go everywhere. along with it. Yeah, yeah. In, per, in proportion. It's right. actually, it would be big on you or me, but right. on him it just looks uh, yeah, small. just normal. All right, this last week, defensive tackle. We're going with Ed Oliver for uh, the Buffalo Bills, what they did in uh, that game against the Eagles. His second career big butt, first of this season. He had the second most pressures with seven. He had four tackles. He had three, what... PFF calls defensive stops in the game where yeah. it just kind of messes up the, the play and for, a, for a negative uh, play. And all going against this offensive line for the Eagles, played 90, or not 90 snaps, 60 snaps in the game. Um, at Oliver, I thought, you know, considering the competition that he had to face, real good game for he, him. He was a good game. He's a good player, Ed. I mean, he's not the, you know, superstar D tackle, but he's like a guy that, hey, I'd love him to start on my team and play. He's fucking hell of a player, right? He's just a notch below the superstar D tackles, mm -hmm. but like effort, toughness, leadership through the roof, right? And pops every game. He's definitely one of the best players on that Buffalo defense. He's the one, one of the few consistent presences, 
presence you see week in and week out out of Buffalo. So uh, he gets his first of the season, and at edge, I could have almost given it. This was tight at edge. I could have given it to Micah Parsons again. I think you went with the right one. Could have given it to T.J. Watt. I could have given it to Josh Allen for the Jaguars. But I gave it to Rashawn Gary for what he did against my Detroit Lions, ruining my Thanksgiving. First career Big Butt Award for Rashawn Gary. Uh, He tied for the most sacks. He had three. Josh Allen had three as well. He had four of those defensive stops, and he did have – PFF's highest grade of the week. And so that was my tiebreaker, a tip of the cap to PFF for what they do. Uh, Edge, Rashawn Gary. It's kind of the shocker of the weekend altogether that Green Bay was able to pressure your quarterback like that with your offensive line that's been pretty damn good, right? You know, Decker's a pretty good left tackle. I'm pretty sure Decker played that game. I'm, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm, like, yeah, 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 I'm yeah, second-guessing yeah. myself. Time. You don't see people do that to Decker all that much. Gary is really damn good, right? He's a guy where, you know, had the knee injury, showed some things, whatever. If he doesn't have the knee injury, he might have made a few more millions with his recent contract. Mm-hmm. But he's a superstar edge player. He is. And, and I think you were right to give him the ball, right? I mean, he had, you know, was it two strip sacks or just the one strip sack? He was close on two. I, I think he yeah. got two. Um, but, yeah, he's awesome in all aspects of the game. And he's a Jersey guy, so I love that. I mean, he was a – defensive tackle, right, at the same high school that Jabril Peppers went to, Paramus Catholic. A couple and he Michigan was, guys. He was a giant, right, yeah. a giant, like a 300-pound number one recruit defensive tackle, right? He got to college, and they've slowly made him slender and slender and slender to now where he's 268 edge rusher that's one of the best in football. And good for him and, you know, good for him getting paid. But, yeah, he was amazing. He was like maybe the reason yeah. the Packers ruined your Thanksgiving, which I'm all for. So good job, uh, Rashawn Gary. Way to ruin Amon's Thanksgiving. The fact that he was a Michigan guy did help, and the fact that Michigan beat Ohio State made, a little made the easier. weekend okay. It could have been a really, really bad weekend. <laughs> um, yeah, he did have those two strip sacks in the game. So congratulations, Rashawn Gary, Ed Oliver. You get your big butt, big butt Awards. of the Week awards. And that is it. We have made it through your notebook, the Big Butt Awards, the homies chiming in. It's a good pod. That was a good pod. It was a I good pod. I think one. we got it all got it all out there. I mean, I didn't even feel like I was like, oh, man, I missed something or whatever. No, there uh, was no more one more thing. There was maybe one too many You're kind of good. You're like, uh, yes. you know, driving Miss Daisy. I'm Miss Daisy, and you're uh, Morgan uh-huh. Freeman. Right? You're, you're just, just along for the ride, you're and just I point along you in the, the right ride, direction. You point me in the right direction. It take it. So way Pete to go. gets in my ear, although he sounded older in my ear when he was well, talking. Well, yeah, to me he too, is older. So. He's older. Right? An old man. And I now. have a feeling you drive like an old man. I figure. Yeah, you're an old I'm man. Pretty driver. Aggr- I'm a pretty aggressive, aggressive driver. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'll get in there. You yeah, know when you have. You have to be on the East Coast, right? <laughs> you're you have learning no choice. Yeah. yeah. It's like either be an asshole or get run off the road. That's exactly. the way it is in the East Coast. Yeah. All right, everybody out there, don't be an asshole. Be a good guy. Everywhere, on the road and other places in the world. Yes. You know where to find us tomorrow. PFTPM, Chris Sims on Button Collaboration. We'll do the Picks Podcast. Uh, hope I can keep it going. I'm kind of hot lately. But usually when I say that, I jinx myself and get cold. So hopefully I don't. Um, and thanks for always driving the ship. You have to travel this weekend? You got a I'm weekend done off traveling. here? You're done. With no Look more Big Ten games. All right. Uh. You better bring the pain on Sunday night. You got <laughs> yeah. to have energy and energy on energy. We'll All see. All right. All right, everybody, be good. Enjoy the weekend of football. Week 13 should be awesome. Of course, that 49ers-Eagles game will be the showcase. Peace out. Be good. Clap it up. Clap it up. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. 
the longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.